Hello everybody, you listening to J Movie Talk episode 298 as I'll be talking the movie Night of the Creeps. The night of the fall is finally here for Chris, Cindy, and JC. It's going to be the best night of their lives. But tonight is also the night of the creeps. From a world unknown comes a nightmare unimagined. First, they are under you, around you, on you, and then inside you. They get into your mouth and you walk around while they incubate, even if you're dead. They are a new terror. They are a different kind of Zombies, exploding heads, creepy crawlies. We could have a little problem. The creeps are taking over. Oh, I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. You have never had a night like this. Night of the Creeps. If you scream, you're dead. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am back wrapping up um, Halloween Creature Feature Month. Um, This has been a fun month for me. Um, Really enjoy these movies that I've covered for this month. Um, Last week's episode was a little different, and I don't know. I might end up doing that a few more times. Uh, Don't know if I'm going to kind of make doing double features like that or if that's something that the listeners would like to hear um, quite often. But I don't know. I might do it again. I just have to find the right uh, balance, I guess, as far as movies. Um, And then I'm pretty sure people are random like, why'd you pick Brooke Adams for a double feature? I don't know. It just kind of worked out that way. Um, But uh, yeah, here I am. Episode 298. um, Wrapping up for Halloween Creature Feature Month with uh, Night of the Creeps. Um, This has always been a movie that I've enjoyed. Um, it's kind of funny. I actually knew about the movie, um, years before I actually watched it, um, because of the director, Fred Decker, who unfortunately only made, well, only pretty much is known for two movies. Um, this being one of them and the other being a little movie called the monster squad. Um, as far as him being a director, but he's written a lot of freaking movies, a lot of well-known movies. And I don't understand why he didn't direct more than, especially based off of these two movies that he did back to back. So he did night of the creeps in 86, which was his first film. He did monster squad in 87. He directed an episode of Tales from the Crypt, 1990. And then he unfortunately directed RoboCop 3. And I guess after that, Hollywood said, no, man, you you can't do this anymore for whatever reason. But 
some of the movies that he had, he's written besides these he wrote the story for the first house movie which was in 85 um uh he also he, he was he has a inspired by an original story credit for house 2 the second story then he wrote the story for ricochet <laughs> and i laughed because um i reviewed that movie um a while back earlier this year actually i reviewed that movie um of course he wrote the screenplay for robocop 3 and he he wrote the predator which came out in 2018 um but yeah i don't know based off but just solely based off of monster squad and night of the creeps is like how he couldn't have gotten more directing roles and things like that i i just don't understand it um and everything but like i said i'm a fan of fred decker's first two films his you know the two films that he's known by whenever you hear the name fred decker those are the movies that you think of um and everything so getting into the cast for this movie we have jason lively as chris tom atkins as detective cameron Steve Marshall as JC, Jill Whitlow as Cynthia. Um, I mean, those are pretty much your main, your core four, if you will, uh, for this. And I mean, there's some people with familiar faces that pop up throughout this movie. So the synopsis for this movie base is kind of simple, really. Um, an alien brain parasite entering humans through the mouth turn their host into a killing zombie. Some teenagers start to fight against them. Sounds fairly, fairly, fairly simple, right? Yeah. So, um, getting in talk about the movie. So the movie kicks off um, with the in outer space on this alien spaceship, and you see these little. I don't want to call them Teletubbies, but they kind of do look like Teletubbies. Um, so you could tell that two of them is chasing the third and the one that they're chasing. He got this real nasty look on his face like you motherfuckers. Basically, that's how he looks. But you realize something ain't right about him because the other two, they don't look as evil as he does. And it's never really confirmed or not if if he was taken over or if he was just the evil genius who said i'm gonna release it into the world into the universe haha you know type of thing I, I still never understand that um because we don't know what these things look like when they when they like pissed off maybe that's just how they look when they pissed off i don't know um but they having a whole gunfight and everything and he's running and he gets to an airlock and he releases this canister out into space and everything um and this turns out to be basically the 1950s now we don't know if when they do it is in the 1950s or is just when the canister reaches earth is the 1950s because again we don't get real clarification on that exactly but anyway uh so we get to uh the 1950s where 
and and it's cool that it's in, that they filmed this in black and white to give the illusion of the fifties and everything, right? So you see these teens and everything, and you know at the college campus and everything, and that's where we meet the two, the nice little couple and everything, and they go out to pretty much uh, where they uh, make out point basically, um, and while they're sitting out there and everything, you get where this. This young cop, he comes along, telling everybody, like, to disperse and everything. And when he gets to the car with the couple that we've followed there, uh, we realize that, oh, she's his ex-girlfriend. And the guy in the car is her new guy. And that's kind of, like, awkward. And when he realized who it is, he just tells him, like, man, just go home. Like, like y'all just get the hell out of here, man. I'm, I'm furious right now. I, but, but I can't let you see me at my weakest. So he tells him to go home. But he leaves. And when he leaves, you get this meteor come flying over here, kind of similar to the blob where the damn meteor comes flying over here. But the difference is, is that this thing doesn't almost, you know, hit him in the face like it did the old man in the blob. But um, they they end up, you know, leaving because they want to track this thing down because back then it was always a big thing like if a meteor comes shoot oh let's go find it and all this type of stuff and you know movies kind of picked up on that and movies like this is always if you see a shooting star or a meteor oh let's go find it then that's when all chaos you know breaks loose right so while all this is going on in the background on the radio there's a report and you get bits and pieces of it because people are constantly turning the radio off. But you get bits and pieces of the story about this crazed mental patient that's escaped from an asylum and he's on the loose and he's an axe. He got an axe and he's going around hacking up people. So while the young couple, they go and they stop on the side of the road where they believe that the um, shooting star had you know, pretty much crashed. Uh, the boyfriend, he gets out the car. He goes into the woods looking and leaves the girl inside the car. And while she's sitting in the car, she hears over the radio that the axe murderer is actually on the road of where they are. And she starts to panic. And she, cause the guy's name is Johnny. Cause we get his name. We never get her name really. And he's off in the woods and he comes across the, uh, what we thought well, well at least what they thought was a shooting star and it's actually a canister and everything and he's like investigating the whole thing and while he's doing that it opens up and this slug like creature you know jumps into his mouth and everything and takes him over now while that's happening back on the on the road we get the max murder slowly creeps up behind the girlfriend with the axe and I don't care how many times I see this movie and even I think they even kind of talk about it on the commentary track for the movie about the fact that when he swing this axe and at the distance that he you swear that he actually connects with this girl like this girl actually lost her life you know for this film but it's just the way they frame it and everything so we get the sense that yeah he kills her but we don't know exactly what happened to Johnny after that so after that happens it Fast forwards to the 1980s and which is current day at that time and is pretty much kind of the same setup. It's the same college, really. And but it's just in current day of the 80s 
And this is where we meet Chris and JC, you know, a couple of college friends and everything. And JC is actually uh, handicapped because he walks with crutches. And they are, you know, at the, you know, at the party, you know, and everything like that. And Chris, he sees, he he sees, um, almost called, almost called about a real name, Jill. But he sees um, Cynthia talking with some of her friends and, and he's like, Whoa, who is that? And JC kind of being the, the jokes that he is like, well, why don't you go over there and find out who she is and everything like this, but well, you want to know her name? All right, fine. So he yells all the way across the street, like, Hey, hon, Hey, toots, what's your name? You know, and everything. And she's looking embarrassed and everybody's looking like, who the hell are these jackasses? And, um, Chris, he kind of just turns around like, Oh my God, I know you didn't just do this. Like I'm gonna kill you one day. And everything. He's like, what? One thing he's like, all right, I got you. So um so he so JC he ends up going over and because he ends up finding Cynthia and telling him, like, hey, my friend really likes you, wants to talk to you, and everything. And she was like, Oh yeah, well, why didn't he you know, why couldn't he have done it himself? Like, why don't you tell him that? Like, I'm just trying to, you know, help you, you know, trying to help him, you know, I'm trying to be Mr. Love maker and everything like this. And everything. So that ends up kind of going going nowhere because the guy that she was talking to who JC actually uh distracted, told him there was a phone call for him, had him leave, but he comes back and like, hey, ain't want no phone call for me. Like, man, you cruising, like get up out of here. Like, what you doing? So end up leaving and they kind of fierce, like, man, so Chrissy's like, man, the only way I can get get a girl is if I join a fraternity. And JC's like, huh? Like, oh, that's how you gonna end up getting a girl? Like, all right. So, like, yeah. So it's like, well, okay. So Chris is like, well, maybe we should try to pledge one of the uh, fraternities. And the fraternity that they decide to try to pledge for is the Beta House, which is led by uh, no good Brad and everything, who's like this blonde-haired dude and... It's like, oh, so you want to pledge beta? All right. So, you know, there's a, something that you might have to do for us. And they kind of start making jokes like, well, I hope it's not having sex with a farm animal or nothing like that. And it was like, that's an interesting suggestion. But no, uh, basically, you just got to get a, you know, get a cadaver or something and put it on the porch of one of the uh, of the houses and everything. And then. You should be able to, you know, we'll make a decision and you probably get in. And it's like, huh? It's like, all right, I guess. And one of the funniest things about the movie is that this movie pays a lot of homage to B horror movies from the 50s. And also it pays homage to like the horror icons of the time because all of the major characters of the movie for the most part, their names are kind of related to horror people. So, um, so it's like throughout the movie, you're here, like you're here. Oh, James Carpenter or Cynthia Cronenberg, um, Ray Cameron, um, also Detective Landis and everything. So you hear these different names get thrown out. And they all in um get they're related to, like I say, the horror 
quote unquote legends of that particular time, which which is a nice nod and everything. So, um, Chris and JC they decide to go to the medical um uh, lab, go to the med lab, and like, all right, we're gonna go in there and we're gonna find a cadaver, we're gonna take it, put it on the steps, and then hey, this should help us get in, right? So they go to the med center and the med student that's watching over the place, he's on the telephone as Chris and JC sneak in and they go inside and they find like this secret, you know, real high tech facility. Like what the hell is this? And when they go inside, this is where Johnny has been for the last 30 years. And the thing about the movie is that it's like, okay, so how did they happen upon him? And they were able to, they get him and then they hold him at the school for all these years. It's like, huh? Like that, that part really is like, well, we really will should have known a little bit more about it, but I guess you're not really supposed to think about it like that. And that thing, because it's weird. Like, okay, they, he went to this college. He got taken over by this slow creature thing, but he's on ice at the same school for the last Basically, almost 30 years um, and everything. So he's he's like in this chamber looking like freaking Captain America right now. Um, so they, you know, turn the thing off and they're about to pull his body up out of there. And when they're about to do it, uh, Johnny, he grabs uh, Steve, uh, not Steve, he grabs uh, JC and and they freak out. And they run up out of there. So they leave Steve Rogers basically like, you know, on the, he's like, hey, pretty much like, man, I'm waking up after 30 years. Like, what the hell going on? But they leave and they run up out of there and and everything. So they just leave. So we are introduced. I always like how they how they kind of introduce Detective Cameron played by Tom Atkins because you find, you realize that it's in a dream because he's on a beach everything in this white suit and you kind of get the jaws effect because as people walk about it gets closer and closer to him he's drinking like a mai tai or something like that and you see he's watching as this girl's coming out of the water which is the girl from the very beginning in the black and white and everything and then it cuts to of the crime scene of what happened with her and the psycho killer and everything because cameron is back in uniform and he's walking up behind him with his shotgun and everything. So the, one of the things that the movie does, it kind of pieces things together. Not all basically visually sometimes it's well, sometimes it's visually, sometimes it's through Cameron kind of talking. So he's kind of filling in certain gaps. But then there's certain parts of the story that never get filled in as you're watching the movie. But we've realized, okay, Cameron is clearly the cop, the young cop from the beginning um, and everything. And then he wakes up and he's like in a cold sweat in his apartment. And he's like, what the fuck? And the phone is ringing. So he answered the phone and it's them calling about what happened at the med lab. So he goes down there. He's already furious because he's like, I was having a great dream, even though he wasn't, it was a damn nightmare. But He's like, I'm having a great need. Like, what's going on here? He's like, man, y'all told me it was two bodies down here. I only see one. And they're like, yeah, you know, uh, there was a mix up. He's like, all right, whatever. So 
they looking, he, you know, they kind of looking the crime scene over. And while all this is going on, like, well, if the body was here, where the hell is it now? So we see Steve Rogers walking down the street, butt naked and everything. And he makes his way to Cynthia's uh, sorority house because it's almost like he's still somewhat him in a sense. So he last time he was awake, um, his girlfriend, that's where she lives. So he basically went back to what was familiar. And while Cynthia is getting ready for bed and everything, he is lurking outside the window and he comes peering in and got the crazy eyes. And then his head splits open and you see the slugs come falling out of his head and his body goes down. So they get the call from the med center that um, <clears throat> that they um, that they found the body. So when they get to the sorority house. And everything. When Cameron gets there, he looks it over, and the way the head is split over, it's almost like an axe did it. And he starts to kind of have like flashbacks, you know, of back in the day of what happened. And he walks around the side of the house, and he and he looks, and there's like this, you know, this little cottage looking house thing. So there's there's a couple back there. He's like, "What the hell is this?" And it's like it's the the uh, the dim mother's uh, uh, house. And everything, he's like, oh, my God. So then you get like a flashback of him digging and, and, and burying something. So it's like, okay, Cameron got some dirt on him in a way, literally. And he's haunted by his past. So um, after all of this, we go back to where um, Chris and J JC, you know, they get confronted by Brad. And it's like, man, this wasn't cool. Like what y'all did. So we told y'all to grab a body and we didn't say dump it on our sister uh, for a sorority house. Like, what are y'all doing? Like the cops basically, you know, involved in this now. And it was like, wait a minute, we didn't do that and everything. So they get into it. Brad being a piece of trash that he is. He knocks down JC from with, with his crutches and Cynthia breaks up with him in front of everybody. In which he storms off with his goons and everything and is furious. And while they're standing there talking, that's when uh, Detective Landis comes up and basically hauls JC and Steve and Chris uh, down to the station. So when they get there, they get confronted by, uh, they get interrogated, I should say, by uh, Cameron, who's saying, Well, we got uh, the janitor here, Mr. Steve Miner, <laughs> which is which funny too. That the janitor named Steve Miner, right? So it's like Steve Miner here saw you guys running out of there 40 miles an hour, screaming like banshees, basically. And that's kind of like a running joke and everything. And it was like, yeah, well, we were there and we did run it out of there and we were screaming like banshees, but we did not move the body. And it was like the body moved it, to, you know, it, it twitched and everything. And Cameron kind of goes like kind of zones out and everything. And he kind of believes them that they didn't do what, what, you know, is suspected of they doing. So he kind of lets them go. So later that night, um, the med student, because I forgot to mention that when after um, Chris and JC, after they ran up out of there, the med student, he goes running into the room and that's when Steve Rogers chokes him out. Cause he got that, you know, that super serum in him. 
and everything like that. So chokes him and kills him. So he died. He's the body that was there, even though they was told that there was two bodies there. So uh, the coroner is actually filling out a report in the coroner's office with the, with his dead body laying on the table um, behind him. When all of a sudden, med student he springs up and he walks up out of there again, butt naked. And no one seems to realize that there's this dead body just literally casually walking out of the corner, you know, at the police station. So um, the janitor, old Steve Miner, he's back, you know, he's back at the uh, school and he's mopping up and everything. And he's walking down the hall and then the med student comes walking around the corner like surprise. And he ends up screaming like a damn banshee. So we get the sense that med student kills um the janitor. So Cynthia goes to see Chris and JC and she wants to apologize for Brad and everything. And she tells them about the fact that like, no, Steve Rogers was, um, you know, basically like a zombie. And it's like, they don't want to believe her at first. And they're walking around, you know, they out walking and everything. And it's like, even though they know what they saw, but they kind of have a hard time believing what Cynthia is telling them, which is kind of funny in the sense of like, well, y'all know what y'all witnessed. So it's hard for you to believe what she's telling you. Like, OK, but um, as the th- as the trio, you know, as they kind of walking and everything, JC noticed how, you know, Chris and Cynthia, you know, they're getting real, you know, they, they kind of vibing and everything. So uh, JC is like, you know what, I'm gonna leave y'all to it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a roll out. I got to go to the bathroom anyway. So uh, I see you later. So he leaves. And as he leaves, he goes to the bathroom back at the dorm. And while he's in the bathroom, freaking the janitor comes stumbling in because now he's been possessed. He falls down dead and his head bursts open. And then you get the little slug creatures. They start scrubbing around the floor and everything. And JC, I mean, he does his best to try to you know fend defend himself i mean he burns one of the things alive and everything so you realize fire gets him and as he's trying to crawl up out of there and everything he gets got so that's kind of that's the last time we see jc pretty much um so after chris he walks cynthia back home and everything and he's feeling good about himself like man i got me a girl and i ain't even in a fraternity yeah so as he as he goes to leave Cameron pulls up out of nowhere and takes him back to his house and decides to, you know, fill him in on the gaps of what's, um, you know, of the missing 30 years and tells him about what happened back, you know, what happened with uh, his ex-girlfriend, her being murdered and the fact that he killed the axe murderer and to get rid of the body, he wrapped him up dug a hole behind the sorority house, which is now where the um, sorority uh, house mother cottage is and everything. And the way he, he basically does it in a, in a way of like, he's getting something off of his chest, something that he's been holding on to for all these years. And he confesses to Chris and Chris is kind of sitting there like I don't think you should be telling me this but all right I guess so while they're there we we go to the 
house uh mother cottage and her and her her and the dog that she has is they they watching TV and the slugs they pretty much like been slithering around and I guess one gets down in the ground underneath and it goes into the axe murder because while she's sitting there watching TV, you start hearing like this banging and it's like, what the hell is that? The doll really like, Hey, uh, don't you think we should be getting up out of here? And she's just sitting there. And all of a sudden you see where the floor starts to come gets crashed and she's just sitting there like she's like, she's frozen, you know, in place. And you see this decrepit body with an ax comes up out the floor, walks over to her and hits her in the face with the ax. And it's like, yeah, you kind of got what you deserve because as soon as I started hearing that banging, if that was me, I would have got the hell out of there. Me and the dog, we would have been the hell up out of there. But she just sits there and, and basically you allowed yourself to get murdered. So um, Cameron gets a call about the murder of the house mother and everything. So he they go well he goes back to the school and everything and they see where where basically she got hacked up because the corner who makes jokes um and everything which is funny that the guy who plays the corner in this was also in graveyard shift um and everything um he's making he kind of makes like jokes and everything he was like you know if we you you know if we trans if we transported it transported all the pieces out individually would it lead a hell of a lot more stretcher. So apparently when he hacked her up, he he like literally just hacked her up and just had pieces of her body, like literally all over the freaking place. Um, so Cameron, you know, he's telling people to go out looking and everything, try to find out where this murder is. So you got people kind of like scattered all over and, one of the patrol cars, they're like, you know, canvassing the area. They got the floodlight. They looking around. They're like, ah, we don't see nothing. So while they driving everything, the guy that's driving, he stops the car real quick because he sees the axe murderer and he stops. And he's like, what the hell are you stopping for? And the way they cut it, the axe murderer, he literally grabs the guy in the passenger seat and was about to hack him. But they speed off and he swings the axe and it hits like the back of the car and it hits and it just makes this like weird ding sound but it's like a cool shot because you you never really get to see like what the axe murderer looks like um and you know clearly you never get to see him so um they get a call uh cameron and get, he gets a call over the radio because one of the one of the girls that's standing outside that's standing by his car she's like detective and he's like he's telling everybody to be quiet and here's over the radio where they was like, we got him. We got him. So he t- so Cameron tells one of the cops that's with him, like, get my get my um 12 gauge from my car. So they go running down the street. And because, yeah, they really did have the axe murder who went down this damn alley and everything. So it was like it's like a, like six, seven cops along with Cameron. They, you know, they cornered the, um, the, the axe murder in this alley. Cameron, he jumps over the fence, has his shotgun. He ready for action. And when he turns around, they start shooting him and everything. But he ain't going down. And Cameron just has like this terrified look on his face because the action murder actually looks at him, smiles at him. And then he hauls off and shoots him like right in the head. Head explodes. And when the body falls down and everything, you see the slugs 
like crawl up out of him and go running off. Everybody looking like, what the hell did we just see? And everything. Now, even though I enjoy this movie, one thing that I don't like about the movie is the fact that we don't get enough of this story with Cameron and the axe murder story. It's like they wrapped it up real quick, even though it's, it kind of pertains a lot to why Cameron is the way that he is. And I kind of almost wanted to see more of this story, but I mean, I guess, you know, one of the stories had to kind of take a backseat to what was going on, but it kind of would have been cool if we got more of the story with Cameron, the ax murder and even getting the ax murder, probably killing more people just to kind of, you know, kind of throw the scent off of there's aliens that are possessing people and turn them into zombies. So if the ax murder was kind of around a little bit longer, it would have kind of helped with that, but they do, they kind of wrap that up real quick and everything. And I always like that, that final shot of where Cameron, like he lets down his gun and he's standing there. So he, Cause he kind of looks like, um, uh, Harrigan from, um, Sin City. And it's almost like, well, damn, if they would have made, if Sin City would have came out like around this time, like that time period, like in the eighties and everything, Tom Atkins probably could have played Harrigan in that. I don't know if he'd have been as, 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 as I don't think he would have did it exactly like how Bruce Willis did it, but I could have seen Tom Atkins playing detective Harrigan, you know, from sin city. If like I said, if sin city came out in the eighties, um, and everything, because he even has the long coat like Harrigan does too. So, um, now that that's kind of all wrapped up and there's no mention of this ever again. It's like none of the cops that witnessed this says anything and it's never talked about. So what the big thing that's kind of going on is everyone is getting ready for the formal dance. And, um, you got the girls getting ready. Cause there's a montage of girls in the, you know, getting ready, half naked and everything like that, getting ready. Um, and Chris and Cynthia are actually going together. And everything. So Chris is kind of feeling himself now. He's like, man, I got me a hot girl. I got this suit. I'm about to be, I'm about to be looking good. We about to tear, tear this floor up and everything like that. So he's going back to the dorm and he passed a couple of guys that he knows. And he was like, Hey man, y'all seen JC? I haven't seen him since last night. He's like, no, nah, man, we, we haven't seen him and everything. So it's like, all right. So Chris, he goes in, into the dorm and he's putting his stuff down and he sees there's a there's a recording and a note for him and it's from JC. And when he listens to it, this is like, a, this is like a real touching scene because it is JC and he's telling um, Chris about what happened and the fact that he's walking around fine with no crutches, but he knows that he doesn't have long because he knows that they're incubating in his brain. And he, basically tells him that he loves him because one thing that has kind of always loomed over this movie, I must say, I shouldn't say loomed over, but it's insinuated that, um, JC was actually gay and that he was in love with Chris all along. And he basically was doing anything for Chris to make him happy because he knew Chris didn't have the same feelings for him that he had for for him like that so 
when he confesses that yeah that he was in love with him and he wishes him good luck with um with Cynthia and everything and as he's talking he's he finally stops he's like well he does let Chris know that fire does you know kill them so if you end up getting into it with him you know basically have to burn him so after he gives him that warning you hear where he basically he gets turned basically because you hear him kind of like let out this like roar where he's not JC anymore and the tape cuts and he's like, he, so Chris kind of freaks out and everything like what the hell is so he goes down in the boiler room and that's where he finds a uh, JC body face down on the ground. And clearly that's where he went to like whatever last part of his humanity he was able to go down in the boiler room and basically burn, you know, the um, the slugs because you see like three of them laid on the floor. They all fried up as well. So, um, yeah, that's the that's the last time we see JC. And uh, so after he finds his body and like I say, he finds the slugs and everything. So he's pretty much, you know, distraught at this point. It's almost like, man, the hell with this dance. We got to kill these fuckers now, basically. So. Chris, he ends up going to Cameron's house and he's bamming on the door and you see Detective Cameron. He's sitting on his couch and everything. He's got a cigarette, you know, in his and but he has the light and he's kind of playing with it, but he's not flickering it and anything. He's about to, but he isn't. He hasn't done it just yet. And because the bamming is on the door, so he gets up and you notice that there's tape all around, like seal the door. So. He goes there. He rips the tape off. And he's like, what? And he sees Chris standing there. And he says that Alfalfa is dead because when early in the movie, when um, Cameron is interrogating him, he calls them spanking Alfalfa, you know, from uh, the little rascals, basically. So he can tell that, you know, Chris is kind of screwed. And I always like this scene of after he tells him that he's dead. Because when it goes back inside the house, it's it's almost kind of hard to explain this scene, but not really. But I like the shot of where it's like a it's a wide shot, and it's zooming in. But you got Cameron walking back and forth, and he's getting he's basically getting tooled up basically because he he grabs his coat, he grabs his shotgun, he but it's zooming in on his stove, which is down. And the oven is on. So basically we get the sense of, yeah, Detective Cameron was about to kill himself. And Chris pretty much stopped him from committing suicide because he walks over to the stove. He lets it back up and he turns it off. And it's like, all right, I'm ready for action now. So they leave and they're headed back to the school. Now, while all that is going on, uh, the fraternity guys, they they getting all together because they didn't got all decked out because they're getting ready to go over to uh, Cynthia's sorority house to pick up all the girls, you know, so because they're getting ready to go to the dance. So they kind of making jokes about the fact that Cynthia dumped Brad and everything. And it was like, where's Brad? It's like, I don't know, but he I'm pretty sure he's pretty bummed. So it cuts to Brad outside of a sorority house. And he is he's he's down bad because he's drinking because he's been drinking and everything. And he yells out like, bitch, and everything because because he got dumped. So he chucks the bottle on the grass and everything. And he sees one of the slugs like crawl on his feet. He's like, what the hell was that? So 
you see the dog, uh, the, the house mother's dog comes walking up to him. He's like, hey, dog, did you see that? And when he looks at the dog, you see the slug comes out of his mouth and jumps into him. So clearly the dog has been taken over and everything. So we go inside and this is where we see, which is kind of ironic, uh, Susan Snyder, who was in Killer Clowns from Outer Space. She shows up here as the sorority girl who opens the door for a now um, zombified um, Brad. And she doesn't even realize that he's a zombie because she just turns around and yells for Cindy like, Cindy, Cynthia, Brad's here and everything. Like she's annoyed that he's even there. So Cynthia comes down. She looks really good in this, in this white dress that she has on. And she doesn't even realize like he got this look on his face like he's not even human, really. But she takes him by the hand. They walk out on the steps, sit down and everything. And she's like, yeah, I just wanted to say I'm sorry for everything. And every, and while she's talking, she's never looking directly at him. But while they're talking, you see like slugs is like just jumping out of his mouth and just running off and everything. And it's like, how do you not realize that this man is not even who he once was? So while they're talking, um, we see it cuts to where the um, the bus with the guys on it, they get into a, a major accident because that damn dog who becomes the true villain of the movie, um, in a sense, he's the one that's causing all this ruckus right now. So kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier at the very beginning with the alien in space, the one that was like, I'm going to release this into the into the stars haha type of thing so i guess he was more of a smart one and i guess that's the kind of the same thing that was going on with this dog because the dog was able to go around and kind of do all this menacing stuff that causes everything to happen in the big finale anyway so i guess it pick and choose who it who they kind of manipulate as far as what allows them to to kind of get cause more damage i guess because this dog causes the bus crash kills all the frat boys and then it you know possesses all of them and they all turn into zombies and we get like a damn thriller uh video as they come crawling out of the bus and they make their way to the frat house but before they actually get there uh cameron and chris they pull up they kill um brad because Cameron shoots him in the head, his head splits open. And, well, I forgot to mention, I forget to mention one of the one of my favorite scenes because we get a cameo from uh Dick Miller who's who's working at the police station because Cameron and Chris they go down to the armory where uh Dick Miller character is um is basically, you know, watching over everything and there's like, yeah, it just came to get uh, you know, I uh, just need a flamethrower. Like, all right. So he goes in the back and he ironically has a freaking flamethrower for whatever reason. So he's like, yeah, I just need to see your requisition form for it. And camera's like, I don't have a requisition form. It's funny that he has the shotgun and he loads it and he points it at Dick Miller because it's almost like a callback to what happened to his character in Terminator when damn Terminator comes to his gun shop and he literally loads the shotgun and he kills him. And everything it's like why you get this dude live ammunition he's like hey buddy you can't do that and then yeah well basically fuck you and blow him away but so it's kind of like almost like a 
I don't know if that was done on purpose or it was like a happy accident that it kind of plays similar. But I want to believe that it was not a happy accident because everything that kind of goes down goes down in this movie. I feel like Fred Decker did it on purpose. So it probably was on purpose. Um, So they get the flamethrowing, like I said. So they get to the school. Like I said, they kill Brad. They burn him. And then that's when Cynthia realized, oh, okay. He, he, he wasn't Brad anymore. So uh, Cameron gives uh, Chris the shotgun. And he goes inside, and while he's inside, Cynthia and Chris are outside, and they're talking. And that's when you see the frat boys come up and everything. And I thought it was kind of interesting that Chris, he gives Cynthia the flamethrower, and he holds on to the shotgun. So while they're outside, you know, basically killing up the frat boys and things, Cameron is inside trying to get the girls together to get them out of the house. And everything he looks out the window and it's funny how he he still finds time to crack jokes because he's like well i got good news and bad news girls it's like the good news is your, your dates are here and the bad news is they're dead and everything like that and the way he just looking got the cigarette hanging out of his mouth it's like and even in the face of terror you still find time to crack jokes but whatever so chris and 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 cynthia are defending the house on the outside on the inside they start getting attacked because some of the uh, frat boys kind of went around the back and kind of trying to come through the back door and everything. They crashing all in and everything. One of the sorority girls, she gets possessed, almost gets Cameron. Cameron takes her out and then he jumps up and he's like, he he really was about that action. Cause when Cameron jumps over that gun, he just shooting the hell out of him and everything and yelling at the same time. And so Chris and Cynthia, they end up going around the side of the house and they kind of get cornered and they end up inside the freaking tool shed, which is barely big enough for one person. But the fact that you got two people inside there and it's like, oh, this was a great plan to end up in here. So they uh, have to defend themselves in there a little bit. Uh, And it's kind of funny that the one frat boy from the beginning that told JC to scram because he was he was cruising. He actually yanks um, Cynthia through the through the uh, shed and has her on the outside. And because Chris, he ends up getting a shot. He puts down the shotgun for whatever reason. And he um, he ends up starting up the lawnmower and he ends up killing the frat boy like that by running the lawnmower over his face and everything. So they realize like, okay, why the hell are these things going down into the basement? And Cynthia lets Chris know that um one that one of the sorority girls who was doing like a has like a brain experiment, has a bunch of brains down in the basement. So they run down to the basement and they see Cameron already down there. His his mouth is taped up and he's basically telling them to get the hell out of there. And he starts pouring gasoline and start doing a countdown from 20. So they realize what's happening. So Cameron's going to basically stay down there and kind of do what he was planning to do in his apartment. Just he's going to do it in a heroic way now. And they end up running out, leaving Cameron down there. And as they, they kind of doing the countdown along with him. And as they get outside, they count down to one. Cameron lights his lighter right as a bunch of the slugs come jumping towards him. And 
freaking house explodes and it goes up in flames and everybody's standing outside and everything kind of watching. So now that we're at the end, this movie has two endings basically. And the theatrical version of the ending is everything still plays the same when they get outside Cynthia and Chris, they end up kissing. And after they kiss, uh, the dog, that menacing ass dog shows up. Cynthia leans down and starts petting it. And then it attacks her where you see the slug like jumps out of her mouth and it goes off. So you assume that, you know, the horror continues. Basically, that's how the theatrical version ends. Now, if you have the Blu-ray like I do and it shows the original ending of where um, Cynthia and Chris, they kiss, but there's no dog because it cuts to the street where Cameron actually was taken over and he's burned and he has a cigar in his mouth and he's like shuffling down the street. And then he gets to a certain point, he stops and he falls down. His head cracks open and you see the slugs, they go scurrying out and they go behind this gate. And then we find out that it's a cemetery. So they're going into the cemetery to find more bodies. And then it's really going to turn to a thriller video. Um, But it doesn't end there because you get this huge spotlight that lights up over a grave is and then it's moving around. And then you look up in the sky and you see the alien ship from the very beginning. It's finally made its way to Earth. And they're looking for the slugs. And as it's flying over, it's still spotlight trying to find exactly where they at. And that's how the movie ends. So I don't know. Uh, uh, so I asked the question, like, which ending is better? Which is preferred? Me, I like the original ending better to the theatrical version because the theatrical version leads it to where like damn Cynthia gets gotten in really type of thing um but this ending it kind of leaves it of where okay Cynthia if they did make a sequel Chris and Cynthia could probably still be fighting a good fight and then the aliens are also here so kind of like a critters type thing um and everything where they're looking for the the creeps you know instead of the crites but the creeps um and everything like that so that's how the movie ends um basically so like i said which ending do you prefer um is is kind of a question that i'm asking uh with that um so yeah that's night of the creeps um my favorite character is that of detective ray cameron played by tom atkins who he makes this movie that much great and it is i wish like i said i I wish there was more with him with that whole axe murder thing. Cause he is, he's the most haunted character in the movie because of, he knows what happened with his past and what he has dealt with. And he's carried that for all those years. And you can tell that he was still in love with that girl. Cause even when he gets that first phone call to go to the sorority house, he literally stops and smells the roses before he goes in. Because I guess that reminded him of her and just this a few callbacks to her and even when inside the house when he's getting attacked by the um the zombies and everything he looks up on the wall real quick and he sees the picture of her from back in the day and it's like that's what gives him the courage to even go on you know and that's why he like sprang into action and, and comes up you know from just firing you know and everything and like i say tom action was great in this movie 
Um, I mean, Jason Lively and Jill Whitlow, they're they're great too. We don't get that much of Steve Marshall, unfortunately, but he's good. Too. Let's say the core four of this movie, they are they play off each other really well. But I mean, it's Tom Atkins that we're talking about. So yeah. Um, if I had to rate the movie out of five slugs, I would definitely give the movie a solid. I would, for, for me, it's a four because it's a it's a very enjoyable movie. Um, it it moves along, and even though you have two storylines, for the most part, you have two major storylines because you have the one with the with the alien slugs and, you know, possessing people. Then you got the whole thing about the axe murder and this haunted cop and everything. And they do eventually kind of converge together in a way. But yeah, I mean, it's, it has a little bit of everything. And like I said, it's an enjoyable watch in my opinion. Um, so that's pretty much it. I uh, want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. Um, you can follow me on the Twitter X machine, as I like to refer to it. Um, at my personal page, the J Giles, or the movie page, J Movie Talk. Also on Instagram at JMT Podcast. All my personal page, the J Giles over there as well. Um, you can find all of Movie Talk episodes a part of the TV Zone Podcast Network. Um, pretty much wherever you listen to your podcast at, just type in TV Zone Podcast Network, and you can find us like that. If you happen to listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, or even good pods, uh, definitely give us uh, some, you know, give us some five star reviews, leave comments. Um, you can do that now, I, I believe, on Spotify. You can actually do that because um, you have poll questions and stuff like that. So you can answer the question because I will leave this. Uh, the question I asked, which ending do you prefer? I will leave that on the uh, question for Spotify. But um, and also, like I say, on good pods, you can, you know, leave comments over there as well and everything just to help, you know, the network and everything be seen a little bit more, you know, get us out there a little bit more and everything. So, yeah. Uh, but to make everything even simpler, if you go to www.tvzonepodcastnetwork.com, you can get all of the, not only the movie talk episodes, but the grand slam podcast, the three and out podcast, the for Frodo podcast, which made its return here recently um, as well. You can find all the the different podcasts a part of the network and their eventual in their individual um, states. So if you listen to one show over another, you can listen to all the shows like together like that. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much for horror wing creature feature month. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening once again. Um, happy Halloween, by the way. By the time this video be uh, this video by the time this episode will be posted. So happy Halloween, everybody. And I will be back for episode 299 where it will be November and I will let you guys know exactly what I'll be doing for November when we get there. So until next time, peace.